can you hear him saying it? Do you hear him saying it? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. The Lord Jesus Christ. To you, his child, saying, Trust me. Trust me. Now, last week we spent some time on the subject of trust me when you can't see that anything's changing. Trust me when you can't see that anything's changing. Because you can't see everything I'm doing. That's what he says. Trust me. Even when it seems like nothing is changing, trust me because you can't see everything I'm doing. Now this morning, we'll move a little farther with that, and we're going to have to divide it up. I can't, I can't get to everything I'd want to, I really want to say this morning, so we're going to have to split it in two. Next week, next week, we'll talk about trust me with those you worry about. Does anybody have anybody? Just you don't have to raise your hand. But just some folks close to us that we care about that matter a ton to us that for whatever the reason, maybe it's choices they tend to make or a course they've chosen or it's a medical issue or it's a marriage issue or it's a professional issue, but because we care about them, we care about them, we also seem to find ourselves worrying about them. And the Lord says to us, trust me even with those you worry about. Now that's next Sunday, but this morning, not everybody you care about causes you to worry about them, right? Some folks you just care about and you care deeply about and you're, you're proud of them or you think about them and you, you want the best for them and they just have a lot of things right about them you still can be concerned, and so you have them on your heart. The Lord would say to us today, trust me with those you care about. Trust me with those you care about. The question is not, do you love them? Do you think about them? Have you helped them materially, financially, perhaps? The question is, 
Are you trusting the Lord with them? He says, trust me. Are we trusting him with them? Husbands, husbands, husbands. Are you trusting the Lord with your wife? Wives, not did you wash all the clothes, not did you get to H-E-B, H-E-B, and back with everything you needed for the household. Not, not that, but wives, are you trusting the Lord with your husband? Parents, as a mom or as a dad, not did I buy them school clothes, not, not have a been at the ball games, on and on and on, but a dad, a mom, are you trusting the Lord with your child? Are you trusting the Lord with your friend? You were there for them, you had lunch together, you keep up, you do things together. That's not the question. Are you trusting the Lord with that friend? For the Lord to say to us, trust me with those you care about, means something different than just caring about them and being there when maybe they need us or doing some things that we can help. But So what does it mean for a husband to trust the Lord with his wife, a wife with her husband, a parent with a child, a friend for a friend? What does that mean? I want you to walk with me through two or three passages of Scripture this morning. And I believe the Bible, the Scripture, the Word of God will, will give us some answers. This is, this is the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, and um, we'll start reading in verse 14 in a minute. And just a little background. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches probably, the Ephesian Christians, the Ephesians who were gathered in homes and many small churches collectively, it would be, the letter would be addressed to the Ephesians. Paul is writing this letter to them from prison. He has been arrested for his loyalty to Jesus Christ and his declaring the message of the gospel of Christ. So Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians in particular, those, those three books are referred to as, the, as prison epistles, letters written from prison. Paul could not see these people. They were dear to him. He had led many of them to faith in Christ. He had experienced things with them spiritually and when he would be persecuted and, and be uh, tossed around by the, the local authorities in their areas, they knew about that and they knew he cared for them and they cared for him. It was a mutual thing. But now Paul 
is many miles away from them. He can't see them. They can't come and visit with him. There's no telephone. There's no internet. He's left most of the time by himself, separated from these he cares very much about. And the things that he says that he asks the Lord to do for them are remarkable in a whole series of ways. Probably the most pronounced is remarkable in the simplicity and the singular focus of his request. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I believe that we are to receive this connection between trusting the Lord for somebody and trusting the Lord with somebody and this activity that is the unique joy of the child of God, the follower of Jesus, which is this activity called prayer. There is a connection between actively trusting and specifically praying. We can't fully say that we're trusting the Lord for our marriage or with our marriage if we never pray about our marriage. We can't say as a husband, I'm trusting the Lord with my wife, but I can't even remember the last time that I went before the Lord, not in a group, not with men, not me and her praying, but I went before the Lord specifically to ask him for certain things for my wife, that I am trusting the Lord to do, trusting the Lord to be in my wife's life. A husband or a wife, a wife the same. To, to ask the when was the last time 
that you can remember going before the Lord for the purpose of praying, asking the Lord, committing, rolling over, handing over as best you can that person that you care about. We're not debating, do I love her? Do I love him? Am I committed to the relationship? We're not debating those things. But folks, that's not the same as trusting the Lord for the one that we care about. Here we have Apostle Paul giving us some instruction, giving us some insight. He couldn't be with these people. He couldn't talk to them. He couldn't sit with them. He, he could, it was this long-distance written communication. That's all he had. But he was trusting the Lord with those or for those he couldn't be with. And he leaves his words as an example for us. Now, where did Paul get that line of thinking? Why, why did he end up putting it like this, that, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth of the love of God, the length of the love of God, the height of the love of God, the depth of the love of God, this, this endless, bottomless, width, height, sea of the love of God and that you may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Where would he get that? Why did, why did he pray like that? I believe there's a reason. I want you to go back to Matthew and Matthew chapter 6 and the words of Jesus. How he gave us instruction to pray. To pray not just for ourselves, but to pray for people. And I hope as you listen to this, you, you got the faces of some of these that you really do care about. They're right there with you. You're not so much thinking about yourself this morning, but you're aware of ones that you really care about. As a, as a parent, you're seeing your children, your grandchildren. As a spouse, you're seeing your spouse. As a friend, you're seeing your friend. And it is within your heart to answer this cry, this call that the Lord's speaking to us. Trust me, trust me with your husband. Trust me with your wife. Trust me with your child. Trust me with your friend. Trust me with those you care about. Look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. The, the subject of prayer has come up, and the disciples had asked, well, how do we pray? What, what do we do? Jesus comments on certain things about don't make it all about the outward expression. Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, just speaking a bunch of words, meaningless words, as if that's the heart of prayer. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then He says, pray then in this way. Pray then in the light of your knowing that your father knows what you need even before you ask him. 
So what he gives us in the following words are the things that we are to understand that the Father knows we need. These are the things that the Father knows we need and that he is willing, desiring to give to us. When Jesus talks about prayer, he, he, he doesn't ever phrase it in, in the, 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 the type of expression that would mean God is asleep, so you've got to wake him up. God is reluctant, so you're going to have to argue with him and reason with him and convince him. Or God is just already ticked and you don't have a shot at getting anything from him. He doesn't phrase it that way. He makes it very clear that your father cares about you. He uses the term that would, would also be, would morph into the term Abba, father, father, the, the, the reverential term, but Abba, your, your daddy, he wants you to know him as a child would know and trust a loving father. And your father cares about you. The things that matter to you matter to your father. Therefore, you have confidence when you come before him, not only about the things that affect you, but the things that affect people who affect you. He cares about you. So Jesus says, here's how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Right off the bat, he wants us to understand you're not addressing an earthly ruler. You're not addressing a head of state. You're not talking to somebody who holds a lofty elected position. You are talking to your father who is over the entire universe and it can seem universe without end. The creator of all that is, the maker of all that ever will be or ever was, He's your father. It doesn't matter that your last name isn't Frost. It doesn't matter that your last name isn't the name of some well-known lineage around the world or locally. It doesn't matter. Because the Lord is the father, ultimately, of Tom Frost. And that Lord is your father. No stranger to him you are if you've received Christ as Savior and Lord. Jesus knocked at the door of your heart and you answered that knock at the door and you said, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive you into my life. John 1:12. but to as many as received Jesus, to them he, the Father, gave the right to be called the child of God. Gave authority, put authority upon us to be known as a child of God. Who is this God? The creator of all that is, the maker of heaven and earth, and the lover of you. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Not common, not ordinary, not of this world, holy is your name. And then Jesus said, here's what you say. Thy kingdom come. It literally reads verb first and verb in the imperative mood, the command mood. Come, 
thy kingdom. Come, thy kingdom. What's that about? Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, both reference those amazing moments when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up on a mountain, came to be known as the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were praying. And then all of a sudden, in the night, Peter, James, and John looked over at Jesus while he was praying. And the scripture records, using different words, but they use one of the words to me, he was transfigured before them. Out of nowhere, he began to glow. He began to radiate from light that was within. It's, the grammar is very specific. It was not light shining on him. It was light exploding out from him. He was transfigured before them. And in that, in that aura of the glory of God, heaven's glory that came down to the earth, Moses and Elijah, who had died hundreds of years before, appeared with him. They were conversing with Jesus, the scripture records. And all of a sudden, Peter, even though he was scared to death, he just started talking. Lord, it, good for us to be here. Let's, let's, let's build three tabernacles, one for you and Moses and Elijah. He had never been introduced to Moses or Elijah. How would he know who they were? Because it was the atmosphere of heaven that had come to this earth. But all of a sudden, they were seeing Jesus Christ radiant in splendor, King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of the armies of heaven, right there before them. And Moses and Elijah come from heaven, and they meet with Jesus there prior to his going to the cross. This happened just before he, shortly before he would go to the cross and be crucified. They were there to encourage him, to speak to him, the human side of Jesus, man the very man, but God the very God in that setting. But prior to that encounter or that revelation, Jesus had said, listen, this, and it's recorded in both, in, in, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus had said, not many days now, there are going to be those who will see the kingdom of God coming in power. And then the very next line, they're on their way up to the Mount of Transfiguration. What was happening there was the kingdom of God coming in power. You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. There's no such thing as a kingdom without a king. So the kingdom coming in power was when Jesus, in their seeing and in their hearing, was revealed for who he really was, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the name that is above every other name, the name Jesus, the name Jesus, the name Jesus. So when, when Jesus says, here's how you're to pray, you pray, come thy kingdom. Jesus would say at another time, 
You're not going to find the kingdom of God right now in buildings or governmental structures or street or architecture. He said to the Pharisees, if you are going to find the Jewish leaders, if you're going to find the kingdom of God coming, listen, Jesus said, you're going to find the kingdom of God within you, within you. Look within, look within. If you're to find it, it's going to be within. Come thy kingdom, he taught us to pray. Here's what he's saying. You pray for the manifest, felt, measurable, observable, knowable, experienced presence of the King, the King Jesus, to be known in the hearts of the ones you pray for. That is the coming of the kingdom of God. Come thy kingdom. Oh, means the presence of the living Jesus moves into a heart and makes his presence known in such a way that it is observable, measurable, palpable, if you will. The kingdom of God coming to a human heart. Jesus Christ moving into a life is not just knowing his name. It's not just knowing when you were baptized. It's not just having a Bible. It's not just singing Amazing Grace. The kingdom of God moving into a human heart is the felt, measurable, known presence of the coming of Christ to a human soul. Or you don't have it. Is the other side to that. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Because I walked down an aisle, prayed a little prayer, walked up and got sopping wet in the baptistry, and not one thing changed about my life. The Lord would say, there are gonna be many on that day. Say, Lord, I did this, Lord, I did that, Lord, I did this other thing. To which he said, I'm gonna say, I never knew you, because you never knew me. Now, I don't mean to be sound like one of those fire and brimstone old mad preachers from the deep south. But the truth is, if the king of kings, if the God of all creation can really move into your heart or my heart and nothing changes, Somebody has got the picture all wrong. It's not about putting a light bulb on the inside of your chest. It's about the thermonuclear dynamic of the one who stepped out on nothing into the darkness of nothing and said, let there be light and everything lit and it's still burning. When he shows up, things happen. Joy comes. Freedom comes. The shackles of Satan and the lies of darkness and the bondage of the past has to go. It can't coexist with one that powerful, one that loving, one that mighty. Okay, let's go back to trust me with the ones you care about. Paul would say, 
Here's what I pray. I pray first on the list above everything that I'm asking for. I'm praying that you will come to know the presence of the living Christ inside your chest. How will that be manifest? That you'll be filled up with all the fullness of God. What does that mean? That you will experience the love of Christ for you that passes all understanding. It's not the rules of God. It's not memorizing the rules of the Old Testament. It's not just all the thou shalt nots. But it's no one. Here, here, here's, here is how the king is manifested to a heart. That that subject of the king is overwhelmed, overcome by the sense of the love of the king for the subject. That he loves me. I can't go this far and run to the end of his love. I can't go this far. I can't go this high. I can't go this low. Lost in the sea of his love. Man. And that's what Paul was praying. So, 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 husbands, husbands, as we pray for our wives, not just as we try to remember the anniversary or try to get the right birthday present or try to wash a dish or two once in a blue moon, but as we trust our Savior with our wife, we're praying, Lord, bring your kingdom to her heart. Bring your presence to her heart. May she know like she's never known before the depth, the width, height, and the length of your love for her. Lord, just let her be lost in a sea of love because, Lord, you know I'm prone to give her a hard time. You know, Lord, there are things that can weigh heavily on her for the children and for the house affairs and her own profession, her own life. Lord, I'm asking you, just smother her. Cover her up in that massive quilt of the love of Christ for her soul. Folks, do you realize how important it is for us to even see things like that? Because things change. Jesus will say in this life, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If we're living down here, change is going to come. Heartache is going to come. Difficulty is going to come. Rejection will happen and so forth and so forth. But the one great constant that results when a, when a loved one is entrusted into the hand of the Lord by the one who's praying. The one great constant is the love of Christ. The felt, it's not, listen, you, you understand this? Love is an emotion. You, you don't know it's there unless you feel it. It doesn't do you any good unless you feel it. Now we can be loved without response, and many times before we come to the Lord, that's the way it is. But to know that I'm loved 
is to feel that I'm loved. Now there's some of you sitting there saying, well, that's just a little too touchy-feely for me. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save your brain. He died on the cross to rescue us from the loneliness and emptiness of souls that are sad. So into that soul, the king doesn't come with another set of rules. The king comes with the measurable, felt, warm from his heart flow of the love of God that passes all understanding that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Folks, listen, there's no amount of information that will ever fill us up to the fullness of God because he's infinite in his knowledge. Paul says here, it's possible for a human to reach some measure of being filled up to the fullness of God on the basis of the love of God being poured into his heart. So how long has it been, brother? since you prayed like that for your wife. All right, sisters, sisters, how long has it been since you prayed for that man like that? And it's something, God just, just fixing, God just, he just, just make him stop this, and God just make him start that, and God just, how's that work for you? But what if when the Lord says this morning, trust me, trust me with that one you care about. And the Lord says, don't focus on the things that aren't all that important, ultimately. You focus on that which is the most important, that I would come with my administration of pure love and take over the governmental structure of that husband's heart. If my husband just doesn't love, or my wife just doesn't love, well, let's just ask the next question. How long has it been since you asked God to bless them in that way? We sell up, we pout up, we mad up, we stomp off, we thought I'm gonna just go find somebody else, or I'm just not gonna further this. And there's this massive switch, this massive toggle bolt right there in the room called trust me. That we dance around, walk around, and we never activate that which is our privilege and our prerogative for those we care about. Trust me. Trust me with the ones you care about. You pray for my kingdom to come. And folks, the reason that's so important long-term is because it doesn't matter what profession we may be in or what corporation we may work for or what um, we may have inherited business-wise from whatever source. There's nothing constant in this life except the constancy of change. But that which won't change. That which will give you the ability to rise above, float through, make it past the storms of change in this life is knowing that you are loved by the God who created everything that there is. 
That if he loves you and he cares about you and he's never going to let go of you, he's never going to fall out away from you, then you can make it. You can make it. No matter what a spouse may say or the CEO from corporate may say or what your body may say even physically. Come, my kingdom. Kingdom of God, come to my friend. Rule and reign and presence of Jesus. Fill that heart of that one I care about. Do you see how neither Jesus nor Paul put out some kind of list of things in this life Dots that had to be connected in order for us to have a good life. Because it's not about the stuff we can see. That has some measure, that has some, because we're humans, we got to eat. But at the core of it, it's knowing that you are loved by the one who has the ability, when it will say, thy will be done, give us, give us this day and Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. The, the word they're speaking of, that which the Lord, if we were to ask him, speak to him to give us this day our daily bread, it, it, it's a word that, that includes even ex nihilo, out of nothing. That he has the ability to meet the needs of his children even if there is absolutely nothing of raw material to begin with for him to work. Give us this day our daily bread. Even if there's not one crumb of H-E-B bread left on the shelf, there's not one square of butter left in the refrigerator. Give us this day our daily bread by the one who loves us. Even if there was no other milk to whatever you do that, turn that into butter. You know. Even if there was no grain to grind and turn into bread. But the God who loves you, the God who's willing to Pour his love, his felt love inside your heart has no limit to the resources at his disposal to take care of you. That's why if, you, if, if, if job changes, health changes, relationship changes, the great constant is, I don't have to go fishing for these things because I'm loved by God. The king of the universe is ruling and reigning in my heart. And he doesn't rule with an iron fist. He doesn't rule with a club. He rules with love. The love of Christ constrains us to do the things that we do. Trust me, with those you care about, trust me, that means bring them to me. Cast all your care upon the Lord 
Because he cares for you, Peter would say. So before we give up on a relationship, before we just assume that things are perpetually stuck in neutral or in reverse, hit the toggle switch. Trust me. Trust me. But Lord, you don't know what she said. You don't know what he did. You know how long they've been. You're right. He does know though. But what if he started nitpicking you? And he could. He could say, but do you remember this? Do you remember when you did that? Do you remember when you did the other? Love covers a multitude of sins. Trust me. Trust me. Is it, is it if you can say, listen, I know better than you do what I'm saying, trust me with. I, I, know, I know the problem here. <laughs> trust me. Somebody's lost joy in their marriage. It's lost joy. Just think, gotta have, gotta find some other friends because there's no joy here. Trust me. You hit the toggle switch, you hit the switch, you hit the switch, lights off, lights off. Well, give me a break. How do you turn the lights on in the room? You find a switch. And it'll stay dark till the Pacific freeze is over. Unless somebody hits a switch. But what if the whole reason behind this preacher saying these things to us is because the Lord is saying the things that seem so impossible to carry, the things that it doesn't make sense that they could ever change. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. So homework. Let there be at least one or two days this week that you can remember that you took this one or these ones you care about to the Lord. And you opened your Bible up to Ephesians chapter 3 or to Mark or, or Matthew chapter 6. You just said, Lord, this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm trusting you to bring your kingdom, the rule of you, Jesus, into that heart. And what does that mean? That means the measurable love of God the love of God to that heart. Well, they got stuff they need to confess. They got stuff they need to make right. So do you. But what if the way to win us, what if the way to draw us is not the attempt to draw us to an already ticked off deity, but to draw us to one who knows everything we've ever done or thought 
but still says, I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Please don't ever forget this, brother, sister, and Jesus. The world hadn't repented. There were no Christians. There was none righteous, no, not one, Paul would say, quoting Isaiah, into the world in which Jesus came. There was no comment from heaven, clean your act up first, and then I'll come to Bethlehem. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he came and he gave his only begotten son. Titus 3, 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, to his mercy, to his mercy. Let the wicked man forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man turn. And turn back to the Lord, Isaiah 55. And he will abundantly pardon. Folks, that's our message. That's our hope. It's our hope working in our hearts in the direction of the ones we care greatly for. And that animates and frames our praying, our trusting of the Lord in their lives. Now look, guys, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Let me tell you, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. If you walk out of here, go home, clear your throat, get out your Bible, and say to a little lady, I want you to sit here, and little children, you sit here, and I'm going to fix to tell you what daddy's fixing to do. Just do it. Don't make a show of it. She'll know. He'll know. Because there'll just be something rising up within. Instead of being condemned, instead of being beaten down, instead of being oppressed by all. Just a sense, wait a minute, I don't understand it. But that song that Monica and them sang a while ago, he, he's for me. He's for me. He's for me. He's for you. Do you hear the hope in that? He's for you. He's for you.